Oops. Oh, that's right. morning everyone. It is really, really good to see you. I'm thankful that you're here today and good morning to everyone that's uh, that's uh, tuning in and uh, on Facebook and on YouTube. Quick question, does anyone remember that show uh, Home Improvement back in the 90s? Joy kind of made my morning today. We were doing, during rehearsal at the end of a, a song, I said, Joy, do you have any questions? And she said, I don't think so, Tim. And it just kind of made the morning, and I appreciate that. Thank you. One of the great things that happened today, and I want to invite you to stand with us, and we're going to sing and praise the one who has done and is doing and will do great things. Ready? Let's come let us worship. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has. He has done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. Redemption, your freedom, awaken the life. 
Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God. You have done great things. Oh, yes, you have. You, yeah, you've done great things. You've been faithful. You've been faithful through every storm. You'll be faithful forevermore. You have done great and I know, and I know you will do it again, for your promise is yes and amen, you will do great things, you will do great things. He's our hero, oh hero of heaven, you conquer the grave, you free every captive, and break every chain, oh God. Have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh God, you have done great things. And we sing hallelujah. Hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, God, unshakable. Hallelujah, you have done great things. Oh, yes, you have. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, God, unshakable. Hallelujah, you have done great things. You've done great things. Oh, hero. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquer the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God, you have done great You have done great things. Amen. Sorry. Amen. I gave you a miscue. My bad. Um, uh, I want to, I was going to do this anyway, but I want to say thank you to Sean Franklin for playing drums with us today. It's a pleasure to have you back here. Uh, Just wish you had a a leader who was actually leading well for you to uh, give you the right cues. Um, Lots of lyrics and chords and stuff in this noggin, trying to get it all solidified. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, for God so loved each and every one of you that he gave his one and only son, that if we believe in him, we will not perish but have everlasting life. Let's celebrate that truth right now. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, 
come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come on, you sinners, come find His mercy. Come to the table, He will satisfy. Taste of His goodness, find what you're looking for. For God so loved, sing it out. For God so loved, the world that He gave us, His one and only Son to save us, whoever believes in Him. They'll live forever, they'll live forever. Oh, bring all your failures, bring your addictions. Come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting there. Open arms. For God so loved, my God so loved. The world that He gave us, His one and only, don't you save us, whoever believes in Him. That's right. We'll live forever. The power of hell forever defeated. Now it is well. Walk in in freedom. For God so loved, God so loved the way. We praise Him. Praise God. Praise God. From whom all blessings flow. Praise Him. Praise Him. All the wonders of His love. Praise God now. Praise God. Praise God. From whom all blessings flow. Praise Him. The wonders of His love is amazing. His amazing love for God so loved the world that He gave us His one and only Son to save. For God so loved the world that He gave us His one and only Son to save us. Whoever believes in Him will live forever. The power of hell forever defeated. Now it is well. I'm walking in freedom for God so loved. God so Bring it all. Bring all your failures. Bring your addictions. Come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting. God so loved the world. Hallelujah for that. Well, this next song we want to do with you, we haven't done in, in quite a while. It's been a long time. And one of my favorite parts of this song is in the first verse. It says, we've seen what you can do. The things you've done in greater measure you will do again. And this is, if you will, a a statement of faith, a faith statement of being so thankful for seeing the things that God has done and also waiting 
with faithful expectation for him to do again what he can do. So I invite you, as we do this song, I just invite you to to pray these lyrics to the Lord as you sing them. I invite you to pray for revival in our hearts and in our church, in our community and beyond. And I invite you to fix your hope on the God of revival, the one who is the true source of our hope. sing church we've seen what you can do oh god of wonders power has no end the things you've done before in greater measure you will do again cause there's no prison Wall you can't break through, no mountain you can't move, all things are possible. There's no broken body you can't save, no soul that you can't save, all things are possible. The darkest night, you can light it up. You can light it up, oh God of revival, let hope arise, death is overcome, you've already won, oh God of revival, and you rose, you rose in victory. Now you're seated forever on the throne. So why should my heart fear what you defeated? I will trust in you alone. There's no mountain you can't move. Mountain you can't move. Things are possible. There's no broken body you can't raise, no soul that you can't save. All things are possible. The darkest night, you can light it up. You can light it up. Oh God of revival. Let hope arise, death is overcome, yes, you've already won, oh God of revival. The darkest, the darkest light, you can light it up, yes, you can light it up, oh God of revival, let hope arise. 
death is overcome. And you've already won. Oh, God of revival. Come awaken, Lord. Come awaken your people. Come awaken the city. Oh, God of revival, pour it out. Pour it out. Every stronghold will crumble. I hear the chains hit the ground. Oh, God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Come awaken your people, come awaken the city. Oh, God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Every stronghold will crumble, I hear the chains hit the ground. God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. The darkest night, oh, the darkest night. You can light it up, you can light it up. Oh, God of revival, let hope arise. You've already won, oh God of revival, oh the darkest night. You can light it up, you can light it up, oh God of revival, let hope arise. Death is overcome, and you've already won. Oh, God of revival. Let's pray together. God, you are the God of revival. You can light up the darkest night. There's no one that you can't save. There's no stronghold that you can't break. And we look to you and trust in you to revive our hearts, our community, our church, our nation. Only you can do it. And we want to humbly surrender ourselves and partner with you in seeing that happen. We love you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Turn your attention to the screen and have a seat for a moment, folks. calling would be international and I never never in a million years thought that the Lord would ask me to walk outside of my door in the mission field where I live and get to know my neighbors I'm Kristen Shell and I live in Austin Texas I am a wife and a mother of four children any given day I am in the kitchen or in the minivan I'm active in the kids' school, I'm a writer, and I volunteer at church. We've been in this neighborhood um, almost 10 years. 
always knew we were supposed to love our neighbors because that's the great commandment. But how you live that out day to day is hard, um, especially when you don't know your neighbors, which is the situation I was in. I did not know my neighbors. Sure, I knew, you know, a handful of them. And so there was this huge questioning, what do you want me to do, Lord? Here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to walk across the street and bang on doors? Do you want me to take cookies? What do you want me to do, Lord? God answers prayers in really winsome ways. I was hosting a party with a friend in our backyard, and I didn't have any tables. And so I ordered a picnic table from Lowe's. And when it arrived two days later, I knew. I knew that for the purposes of the party, I was going to have it in my backyard. But as soon as that party was over, I was moving that table in the front yard, and it was going to be a gathering place. And so I painted it turquoise, which is my favorite color, and I did. I put it outside underneath the tree in the front yard. It was awkward at first. I have this table. It's bright turquoise. It's sitting in the front yard, and now I'm like, well, now what do I do? So I took a whole bunch of stuff out with me. I took my phone and my journal and my computer, and I even um, I had some art stuff that I was working on because, you know, I needed to look like I was just doing something. It's like going out front. I was saying to God, here I am, Lord. Your will be done. Go before, behind, and beside me into the neighborhood. And that very day, life changed and I met a neighbor within three hours of putting a table out in my front yard. A lot has happened since putting the table out there. There are a handful of women who are now very close friends who I did not know. It has become kind of a gathering place. Hi, Bob. This is my daughter, Peggy. (laughs) So one of the best things is just the sense of normal community, everyday life the neighborhood kids come over. They'll do homework when the weather's pretty. We've had lemonade stands, hot cocoa stands. More intimately, um, it's a place where I can meet and have met neighbors um, who now pop by with coffee and just for 15 minutes, a a conversation over coffee that wouldn't have happened. The Lord has taught me and I am learning to be present. Um, That, it sounds like it should be a no-brainer. But listening is not um, a skill that came naturally at first to me, nor was being present. Loving my neighbors has taught me how to love God better. It's drawn me into deeper relationship with Him. You don't need permission or a program to go outside and be who Christ has called you to be. When we open up our front door and we take three steps right out our front yard, good things happen. Open up your door and let God do the rest. Hi, uh, good morning, everybody. We're really glad you're with us. Uh, Steve, Sandy, if you're watching from Mexico, we love you guys. We miss you. Uh, everybody else on Facebook, we love and miss you guys too. And uh, but really good to see all of y'all. Glad you're you're here today with us, and I'm glad to be here today. Uh, so I'd like to talk to you about an idea for the month of September. Uh, I'd like us to make September Love Your Neighbor Month. Okay, Love Your Neighbor Month, and I'd like us to all. 
uh, go buy a picnic table at Lowe's, paint it blue, paint it turquoise, uh, and our house will paint it red. We'll paint it razorback red. Okay? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's not that. But what I, I wanted you to do is this month I want us to think about how do we love our neighbors. Okay? And when I say how we love our neighbors, I'm talking about how do we love our neighbors who are different from us and live around us, you know? And I don't know if y'all have a neighbor that maybe is an irritating neighbor, but even love your irritating neighbor, okay? But love, we want to lo- actually love our neighbors. And last week, um, the last week, Dave Gudgel was with us, and he talked with us about what he called the four eyes of doing the work of an evangelist. By the way, uh, Dave's son is the one who produced this video. And, uh, but he talked about the four eyes of being intercede, which is, you know, a, it's just another word for prayer, you know, to pray, but to intercede, to, um, to uh, in, not invest, but what it was, to initiate, initiate with people around you, to invest, and then finally to invite. And what I want to encourage us to do is simply to pray for the people around us. And I know for some of us, you may hear the word, do the work of an evangelist. You may hear the word witness. That may feel, for some of us, could feel intimidating. And this is what I want to to remind you of, okay? I want to remind you of this. I want to remind you of how great your God is, okay? Because sometimes what happens is we can talk ourselves out of things that are really fantastic that God wants to do in our lives and wants to do through our lives because we focus on our inadequacy instead of God's, uh, his, his, um, his greatness. And we can talk ourselves out of doing things where we experience, other people experience blessing to us, but we experience blessing too. And so right now, if you only do one thing in the month of September, this is all I'm going to ask you to do, is to actually pray for your neighbors. And if your news feed discourages you from praying for a neighbor because they are a Republican or they are a Democrat, depending upon what news feed you listen to, then turn off your news feed and listen to the Scripture. And listen to Jesus, who said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That means your Republican neighbor. That means your Democrat neighbor. That means your independent neighbor. That means your white neighbor, your black neighbor, your Asian neighbor, your Hispanic neighbor. That means your straight neighbor. That means your gay neighbor. That means your neighbor. It means the people who share the same space with you. And to do what Jesus would do, love them and pray for them. And as you're praying for your neighbor, I want to encourage you to do this as well. I want you to pray for yourself, that your heart will be shaped by God's heart. You remember the God we were singing about a moment ago, the the God who so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. Pray that your heart will be shaped by God's heart. Pray that your thinking will be shaped by God's thinking. And pray that God will give you not just faith to believe in Jesus, but a contagious faith that believes in Jesus in a way that attracts other people to believe in Jesus. I want to take a moment right now. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for uh, revival in our lives, and, uh, and then I'm going to pray that God would use us 
to have a contagious faith that draws other people to Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. And when we say you are great, you are greater. You are greater than all of our faults. You are greater than our greatest failures. God, you are greater than our greatest fears. God, you are a God who loves in, in measure that we just simply cannot fathom and fully understand. And God, you are the God who so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God, my prayer for us is that our hearts will be shaped by your heart, that our thinking will be shaped by your thinking. My prayer is that, God, that you would open our eyes and awaken our hearts. Open our eyes and awaken our hearts, God, so that we see you, that you are a holy God, and that we would see your holiness, and that we would worship you in your holiness that we would cherish your holiness. Open our eyes, God, to see your greatness, that you are great and awesome, that you are the one who spoke the word in a trillion, billion galaxies where our um, stars were flung into existence. That, God, you, you are greater. You're greater than our faults, our failures, and our fears. And Lord, I pray for revival in our lives. I pray that you would give us um, a love for our neighbors. And God, give us a contagious faith. I pray for revival in our lives, in our church. I pray for revival in the churches of this community. And God, I pray for spiritual awakening uh, on the streets that we live on, in the neighborhoods that we live in and in this community and across this nation. And God, I pray this because I know there is absolutely nothing you can't do. And so I pray this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for praying with me. At this time, what we want to do is we want to take a moment. uh, While we're talking about loving our neighbor, we want to love one another as well. And I want to encourage you just to greet the people around you. And uh, and maybe ask them, what is your plan for beating the heat this week? <laughs> Don't go to hell. That's one good way, okay? <laughs> nice.
All right, folks, in just a minute, we're just going to uh, continue with our worship. Go ahead and finish up that conversation. I don't want to break you away from it just yet. <clears throat> I'm a huge, huge fan of this next song, and it was written or co-written by Jason Squires, a young man I know most of you are familiar with who's led here a number of times. And I just want to let the lyrics speak for themselves and again invite you to just to pray them to the Lord. I raise my 
Father, we want to be a church and a people that praises you and trusts you. You are good and you can be trusted. And we want to simply and humbly acknowledge, Lord, that we need you. And we want to thank you for the grace and the acceptance that we have through Christ. We praise you, Lord of all. In his name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat for a second before Pastor Gary comes up. Just want to continue our worship right now uh, with our giving and um, you know the model for giving as we've sung about quite a bit already the model for giving is God himself right God himself is that model and we give because he gave first and when you contribute to the ministry of SVC you are using what God has given you to be that turquoise table if you will to our community and uh, to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus with those in our, uh, in our community. So there are five different ways you can give. This is going to be familiar for many of you. You can visit our website at solanovalley.org forward slash giving. You can tap the Give button on the SVC app if you don't have that. It's in Google Play or the App Store. Just type in the church's name and you can download that app. 
there's a $500 fee for it. I'm kidding. After that, it's free, though. I'm kidding. You can send a check to 1307 Oliver Road, Fairfield, 94534. You can text the word GIVE to 707-883-3019. And finally, if you're here in person, you can place the offering in the silver mail slot um, in the in the wall behind the sound booth, or you can actually just give it directly to Dan or Joe, and uh, they can go have a great lunch today. So I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Dan's nodding his head. Of course he is. <laughs> no, I'm joking. There's a, a, a slot back there, and you can put it in there as well. Uh, one thing I want to remind you about is every Wednesday at 4 o'clock out at Journey uh, on Shadbourne Road is Coffee with a Pastor. If you uh, have the time, we'd love to have you drop by and just chat. We've, we've been talking about the Bible. We've been talking about Razorback football. We've been talking about all kinds of things, and we would love for you to join us. And, this, and the, everything at Journey is just fantastic. Uh, yesterday, uh, Katie and her sister Lauren brought me home a Nutella Pop-Tart from Journey. If that won't make you a believer, I don't know what will. That was pretty incredible. Thank you very much for that. Pastor Gary, I'm going to stop talking, and it's your turn. So why don't you come on up? Will you welcome him back, please, to the stage? Great to be back. Good to see you guys. Uh, so, yes, it is football season. It is football season. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this, Matt. Maybe after a great, awesome worship set like that, uh, now that it's football season, we should, you know, how they do the running ch- chest bump in football, you know? You know, I, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. All right. So, uh, I want to... Uh, we're going to... Oh, all right. That 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 kind of works, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. We're just checking to see if anybody's awake today. All right. Uh, you all passed the test. Good. 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 Hey. Um, so what we're going to do today? I'm going to do something a little bit different. Uh, when I say a little bit different, I, I want to back up a little bit. We're we're we are um, we're doing a series called A Faith That Works, and we're looking at the Book of James. And uh, James was very concerned about, about Christians living in the first century, uh, most of whom were Jewish Christians who were scattered among the nations, many of them scattered because of persecution that had happened in Jerusalem and in Judea. And so what they did is everywhere they went, they were sharing with other people the gospel. They were telling the story of Jesus to people who were hearing it for the very first time. And they were also people who were experiencing a certain amount of economic oppression. Just kind of important to understand the context. And so what I want to do is a couple of weeks ago I preached, on, I preached on James chapter 1, verses 2 through, I think it was through 12. And when I did that, I kind of, if you were paying attention, you probably would have noticed I skipped right over verses 9 to 11. Okay. And, and part of it was I didn't know how to develop it. Like in the middle of everything else I was doing, I felt like I was trying to do too much that day. And so I want to come back and I want to hit that because you're going to see a theme in verses 9 through 11 that are developed as you read through the book of James. And it's kind of important to really understand uh, what, what, um, what James is doing in this text. But before I do that, I want you to think for a moment. I want you to think. 
and I want to ask you a question. Please don't answer aloud, okay? There are questions that are rhetorical questions. That means you don't answer it, all right? Uh, and uh, don't raise your hands, okay? This is just you in your heart, your mind. There's no right answer or wrong answer. Actually, that's not true. But anyway, let's just pretend like there's no right answer or wrong answer, okay? So if a person were to ask you, are you rich? Are you poor? Or are you somewhere in between? How would you answer that question? Okay? Not answer it aloud. Okay? Uh, Are you rich? Are you poor? Or are you somewhere in between? Okay? You got that in your head. Okay? You got that in your head. Um, So, uh, the... um, Okay. My brain's going two different places here. My brain's going two different places here. Um... I looked up the U.S. census data, the latest U.S. census data for Fairfield, California. Okay, so it was, I actually think this year or, you know, this recent uh, census data was collected not just in 2020, but because of COVID, it was also collected in 2021. And so a couple of things I discovered about Fairfield, uh, and I don't know if you knew this or not, but the average home in Fairfield has 3.12 people in it. Did you know that? So you got three people, and then you got a 1.12 person, which I can only imagine must mean a dog, okay? So the average home in Fairfield, the average home in Fairfield has 3.12 Uh, people. And the median household income of Fairfield, what that means is this. The median household income means that half of the people in Fairfield make more, half of the people in Fairfield make less. But the median household income in Fairfield is 86,000. This is according to U.S. Census Bureau, but is uh, it's $86,200. That is the median household income. Okay. And um, and then what I did was I went to the Pew Center of Research. Any of y'all familiar with the Pew Center of Research? Okay, a couple of us. All right. And so the Pew Center of Research, they do a lot of research on a lot of different kinds of things. Uh, they do a lot of research uh, stuff on like the economy and on economies around the world. So they're they're you know they 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 do a lot of you know data collection and and stuff. And then they also do a lot of stuff on religion. They do uh, quite a bit of stuff on religion as well. But in this case, I was just kind of curious, and I looked up on the, the, the Pew Center uh, of Research, and I looked at, and this is based upon data that was collected in 2021, but I wanted to know where we fall as people in Fairfield uh, in, in this range of are we rich, are we poor, are we upper, you know, middle uh, income? Are we middle income? Are we low income? Where does Fairfield rank? Okay, where does Fairfield rank? And I think sometimes what happens is we think about the rich in terms of the mega rich, you know, the billionaire. All right, uh, but but where do we really rank as people in Fairfield in this whole thing? So guess what? Guess what? Okay, if you are uh, if you live in Fairfield, and I know I said it's eight, our, the median household income is, I said it was $86,200, okay? According, according to the Pew Center of Research, if you live in Fairfield, California, 
and you make $63,004, okay? Can't be three. It's got to be four. If you make $63,004, guess what? You are not in the poor income. You are not in the low income. You are not in the middle income. You are not in the upper middle income. But statistically, worldwide, you are in, you are in the high income. Congratulations, you've won the lottery. You're, you're, you're rich. You're rich. What happens in America sometimes, because of where we live, we live in such a wealthy nation. It, it's, it's really fascinating. We live in such a wealthy nation that sometimes we don't have a sense of context to evaluate how we live, to really understand how we live. And my dad really helped me understand this when I was a kid. My dad helped me understand this because my dad grew up very poor. He grew up, uh, imagine, you know, my dad grew up very, very poor. He, they didn't have indoor running water. They didn't have indoor plumbing. Uh, they didn't have flush toilets. They, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have any of those things. Uh, they, you know, in the Waltons, they at least you could listen to the radio. They had no electricity. Uh, it was like more like Little House on the Prairie than the Waltons. I mean, that's where my dad, that's where my mom lived. No electricity, uh, no indoor plumbing. And, and this is one of the things my dad taught me when I was a kid. He said, Gary, we were poor, but none of us knew it. We were poor, but we didn't know it because everybody around us was poor too. And see, that's kind of what's happened in our world today is we're rich but we don't know it because everyone else around us is rich as well. So um, so uh, what I want to do is I want to raise a question for us is how should the way we think about wealth, how is the way we think about poverty, and how is the way we think about money important to spiritual transformation, real transformation in our lives, becoming more like Jesus. And let me read for you a text of Scripture, and then hopefully I'm going to make all this fit, okay? So James chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 11, if you have your Bible, I'd like to encourage you to open up to it. James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And uh, I'm going to be reading from the NIV text today, uh, the 2011 uh, version. And uh, in James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, uh, the Bible says this, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Interesting. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their humble humble, uh, circumstances. But the rich, the rich should take pride in their humiliation. What? I mean, does God not like us because we're rich? But the rich should take pride in their humiliation. Are you with me here? Um, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat, withers the plant, its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. By the way, that's going to be this week in Fairfield, all right? The sun rises with scorching heat. The, the sun rises with scorching heat. Uh, it, 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 
it, um, it withers the plant, its blossom falls, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Oh, what is James saying here? Is James saying that God plays favorites? Is James saying that, that, that God's favorite is the poor and not the rich? I have a friend of mine, he would say that. He, that's exactly what he would say. Um, I would say, uh, what's James saying here? Is James saying that somehow if you're poor, then you're good, and if you're rich, then you're bad? Uh, and when you read through James, uh, it, it's very interesting how he develops the theme of rich and poor and how that should shape the way we think about our lives. So uh, God isn't, uh, let me just say this, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ramble for a moment. Forgive me, all right? God isn't saying all poor people are good. He's not saying that. Because elsewhere in the Bible, we read about people who are poor because of, um, you know, because of, of sloth, laziness. Uh, so the Bible isn't telling us that, that all poor people are good and that all rich people are bad. That's not the point of the text. But he is addressing something that is very important. Okay. Have you ever heard the words economic disparity? Economic disparity, where you have the mega rich and the very poor. Economic disparity. Um, James is addressing the subject of economic disparity, and, uh, and, he is, um, and he is telling us something about what our attitude should look like as people who are poor, rich, or somewhere in between. James was, and this, this is something that's very important. James was, uh, was, was championing something that was countercultural in his day. See, our world says is, it's good to be rich, but it's bad to be poor. We hear this. Okay? In the ancient world, it was good to be rich, it was bad to be poor. If you're rich, you're powerful. If you're poor, you're powerless. That was a way of thinking in the ancient world. That is a way of thinking in the modern world. And in, in the ancient world, there was huge economic disparity as there is in the modern world. It's just that we're surrounded by so much wealth, we don't always see it. But if you were a Christian living in North Korea, you would understand it be better. If you were a Christian living in Rwanda, so-called free country, you would understand it because your average annual income would be somewhere around $750, $800 a year. Okay? Is that what we are surrounded by so much wealth is that it's, it's like we, we live in a bubble and we have a hard time really knowing how and understanding how to think about it. The other thing that's very important to understand with the book of James is remember, these are people who were scattered. They were at the very beginning, James is saying to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. They were scattered, and they were scattered, according to Acts chapter 8, because of a persecution that, it, that began right after uh, the stoning of, of Stephen. So, <clears throat> so we need to kind of understand the, the context. And what James is, counter, or what James is championing is a, a, a countercultural way of thinking about wealth, poverty, and our identity before God. Uh, in the ancient world, let me skip all that. 
What James is saying is the rich, the rich should take pride. Excuse me. The, the, uh, he is saying that the brother in humble circumstances should take pride in his high position, but the rich should take pride in his humiliation. So what does this mean for you and me today? How are we to view wealth and how are we to view poverty and how are we to think about money? So what I want to do is uh, every time you read the scriptures, you have a context. Okay, you have an immediate context in the book of the Bible. You have a historical context. You have a cultural context. But you also have something called a biblical context. In other words, what does the Bible teach us about how to think about themes of wealth, poverty, and money? And what I want to do today is I want to take just a few minutes to talk about how we're supposed to think about wealth, poverty, and, about, and in particular about money. So four things, I want to try to make this as simple as I can, and I'm going to try to make it as fast as I can. Four things that you really need to understand, four things that you really need to believe, uh, four things that you really need to do. The first thing is this, is that everything we have comes from God. We, the first thing we need to understand when we think about wealth, when we think about poverty, when we think about money, we need to understand that everything we have comes from God. Everything, everything. The Bible says this. Uh, the Bible says, remember this, what, remember the Lord your God. Uh, let me give you the context here of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, Moses is writing and speaking to the people of Israel just before they go into the promised land. God has told these people, you are about to experience incredible abundance. I'm going to give you incredible abundance and blessing. Does that sound good? Yeah. Sounds good to me. Anybody opposed to experiencing abundance and blessing from God? Oh, good. I hope, I hope not. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I, I kind of like that idea. But what he does is he gives them a warning. He says, be careful not to forget me when you experience blessing and abundance. And so in verse 8, he says this, remember the Lord your God. Don't forget me. Remember the Lord your God. For it is he, God, who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. That, that what God wants us to do is he wants us to recognize that everything we have is given to us by him. Now, sometimes, I, you know, you can get around people, maybe you can even feel this way yourself. And sometimes people can have an attitude of, well, you know, uh, I have what I have today because I earned it. What was the commercial that, you know, uh, I can't remember the commercial that used to be on TV. Is that, you know, how did we get our money? We got it the old-fashioned way. We earned it. Is that sometimes people say, I have what I have today because I worked really, really hard. Or I have what I have today because I'm, I'm more clever than everybody else. And the truth is, and this is something we need to, to, to bear in mind as American Christians. As American Christians, we need to remember this. There are Christians who live in other parts of the world who might be a lot more clever than we are. There are Christians who live in other parts of the world who might work a lot harder than any of us have ever imagined or dreamed. There was a nation of people in, called Israel who lived in Egypt, who experienced 400 years of very, very hard work, and they never became rich through it. 
See, the ability to generate wealth doesn't just reside in me. It resides in everything that God has given me. And so we need to always be very humble in how we think about the wealth that we have or the money that we earn. That everything we have comes from God. So that's the the first thing I want you to understand from the Scriptures. Number two, we cannot serve God in money. We can't. We have to make a choice. We can serve God or we can serve money. But we cannot serve God in money. Now, Jesus said this. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You have to make a choice. No one, no one can serve two masters. You, you, either, uh, you will either hate the one and love the other. You'll either hate money and love Jesus, or you will love money and hate Jesus. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You're going to be devoted to money and despise Jesus, or you're going to be devoted to Jesus and despise money. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to make a choice. These are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. If anybody has an argument, your argument is with Jesus. Okay? Not me. All right? These are the words of Jesus. And what do we do with that? We cannot serve uh, we cannot serve God and money. But I do believe we can serve God with our money. I do believe that. We cannot serve both God and money, but I believe we can serve God with our money. Let me give, can I give you an example of this? I have a buddy of mine, he's fairly affluent, very, well, from my perspective, very affluent. Um, but um, he's not a billionaire, but he, is, he does well, okay? Uh, hasn't had to work for a long time, will not have to, doesn't have to work at all, period. And uh, in, in uh, this friend of mine, he lives in another state, so I, you know, not wanting to say who it is or anything like that. And we don't talk a lot, but every once in a while we do talk. And he called me uh, Thursday. Thursday was my birthday, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, he called me on my birthday, and uh, you know, the first thing he asked is he asked about something that we had talked about a long time ago, where he had asked me how he could pray for me, and he. First thing he asked me is, hey, how is, and he uh, talked to me about this. And, uh, and we were talking for a while. And, you know, what I like about my, my friend is, is that, you know, my friend does this, is he doesn't have to work for a living, but he works. He works 35 hours a week, no pay for his church, 35 hours a week. He leads two different Bible studies. He doesn't lead a Bible study. He leads two Bible studies. He serves uh, the widows in his church. He, um, he is a deacon in his church. He's helping the church with a construction uh, project because he has a background in construction. And he doesn't do it legalistically. He does it joyfully. He can't wait to get up the next day to go back and serve. He's wealthy, but he doesn't serve money. He serves God. And he serves God with his money. And, and we need to remember that everything we have comes from God. And number two, 
We cannot serve God and money, but we can serve God with our money. Number three, we need to learn to be content with what we have. And I don't know who the guy was, but someone once said, you know, when will you have enough money? Some, like, super rich guy. I can't remember who it was. I don't know. Uh, But but, but the guy said, you know, they asked him, how much money does it take to be happy? And he said, one dollar more. One dollar more. See, sometimes we think, you know, I'll be content when. I'll be content if. I'll be content when, if, when, if, when, if. And every time I say I'll be content when or if, I'm choosing not to be content now. Every time I say I'll be content when I have one more dollar, I'll be content when I can drive this car instead of this car. I'll be content when I can ride a new S-Works, specialized S-Works, like my buddy got the other day, like $14,000. Every time I say I will be content when or if, I am choosing not to be content now. And I believe that people don't experience true joy in their lives until they learn to be content with what they have. In in Philippians chapter four, uh, in Philippians chapter four, um, uh, uh, the the Bible says uh, Paul writing to the Philippian Christians, and, and he's in jail while he's writing this. By the way, okay, he's writing this while he's in prison, and and he says he says I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I know a lot of people love to quote that verse, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But the whole context is learning how to be content right where we're at with what we have. Uh, but we've got to learn. We need to learn how to be content. And if you want to learn how to be content, I, I can teach you how to do that. It's real simple. Just learn how to say thank you every day a whole lot. Learn how to say thank you every day to God. God, I thank you that I have a healthy body. You know, I, I've got a little sore knee. I thank you, God. I have a healthy body. The other day I was talking to a buddy of mine, Friday. Two heart surgeries this week. Two heart surgeries. Uh, 47 years old. He has gone through incredible suffering. Uh, As I was talking to him, he had called me up on Friday, and it had been a a week or so since we had spoken. And and he's a pastor of a church over in... um, Santa Rosa, great guy, just awesome young man, 47 years old, just an awesome young man. And, and I've just I've watched the suffering he's gone through, and I'm like, and I told him the other day, I said, I, I, I said Tim, you, if, if I've ever known a modern-day Job, you would be that modern-day Job. And just his attitude through all of it, you know, it's like he calls me up like it's, a completely casual phone call, and he had heart surgery on Wednesday and emergency heart surgery on Thursday, and he's calling me on Friday. It's like, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Uh, but, but, you know, he's 
um, that we learn how to be content by learning how to be grateful for what we have. And for me, I think it's easy for me to complain about my knee pain instead of being grateful for the healthy body that God has given me. I can go out for a bike ride. You know, like yesterday, I went out with Dan Mickla. I got to go out for a bike ride. We rode before the heat. But, you know, uh, just being grateful for what we have. Uh, Third, uh, that's how we learn contentment. Fourth thing we need to understand is this, about wealth and how we think about being wealthy, how we think about poverty. We need to use what God has blessed us with. I wanted to say it this way, and I know it sounds awkward, but it's very important. We need to use what God has blessed us with. Sometimes I'll hear people and they'll say, well, I'll give more money when God gives me more money. We need, uh, we, we, we need to use what God has blessed us with to bless others. Two stories. Can I tell you two stories? Two stories. One story, I know you've read it before. If you've ever read through the New Testament, it's, the, it's one of the few miracles that's mentioned in all four Gospels. It's the story about where Jesus was with his disciples and they were surrounded by a great crowd of people. It was getting late in the day. The people were hungry. They had no place to go to get food. And so Jesus, because I believe he has a sense of humor, Jesus, having a sense of humor, asked Philip, where will we get bread to feed all these people? And the, the text tells us that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. I, I think Jesus has a sense of humor. And he did this to test Philip. Where will we get, uh, where, where will we get enough, uh, where, where, how will we feed all these people? And Philip's like, okay. He's, he's like really good at math. Like better at math than I am, okay? Uh, he's like really good at math. He's like, oh, you know, Jesus, I mean, we could have over six months' wages, and we wouldn't even have enough food for each person to have a bite. And Andrew comes up, and he says, he says, hey, here's this kid. And, like, I mean, you know, this is cool. Here's this kid. He wants to give his lunch. But it's only two fish and five loaves. What is that for so many people? I, I just, and I wonder what Jesus was like with the little kid. I, I just wonder if he's just smiling at him, you know, gives him a little pat on the back and says, thank you, buddy. And then what Jesus does, the Bible tells us, is that he takes the bread, he takes the fish, and he gives thanks to God for what, what they have. And he takes the bread, and he takes the fish, and he breaks it. He gives it to his disciples, who give it to the people. And God multiplies the lunch of a child to to feed a multitude. That this little kid um, uses what God has blessed him with to bless others. The kid gives up his lunch, and God feeds a multitude. True story, heard it for the first time this week from my mom. Probably, oh, wow. Like, I was just a little kid. This is like, well over 50 years ago, you know? 
And my mom, uh, the, w- there was a man in our church. His name was Dr. Winger. Dr. Winger was awesome. I love Dr. Winger. And he was one of the elders of our church. And he was preaching for our church one Sunday. And he was preaching about this story, about how Jesus fed the 5,000 with the lunch of a little child. And then what he did was he told, he, he told the, the church about a special need that the church had. Uh, a need for $100,000. And $100,000 back then is a whole lot more money than it is right now. And $100,000 in Arkansas way back then is a whole, whole lot more money than $100,000 is here in California today. Okay? Um, They needed $100,000. And um, in that day, uh, just something to know with regards to my parents. My parents were very responsible, very godly um, in in following Jesus and were very, very generous in how they would give. But my parents were in a place of financial need themselves, okay? Uh, That we had, as a family, we struggled financially uh, because we had a lot of medical debt that was not covered by insurance because of some things that happened with my sister when she was younger. And so my, my parents were, they, they, you know, they gave, but they, had, they, they didn't have much to give. And um, the weekend before, my parents had visited my, my grandparents back in eastern Arkansas. And my grandmother gave my mom uh, a $20 bill. And, you know, $20... You know, you could go out for a nice meal for a family of four, a very nice meal. And, 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 and my grandmother gave, gave my mom that $20. And that day, my mom thought, I don't really have anything to give except what my mom gave me last week, that $20 bill. And my mom gave away our mill, our $20 mill. And, and, and she thought this. She thought, if I give this money, and God multiplies it 5,000 times. Help me out here, Sean. How much is 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 five thousand times twenty? Oh, that's okay. I already looked at the calculator. It's a hundred thousand dollars. It's exactly what the church needed. My mom gave that twenty dollar bill. The next day, the church had a hundred thousand dollars. We need we need to bless. We need to use what God has blessed us with to bless others. That's what the child did. That's what my mom did. And you know what? I'm just going to tell you something straight up. When we choose to use what God has blessed us with to bless others, you know what God does? Is we get to see God do something awesome. We get to see God do something awesome. So l- let me just let me let me try to make this real simple. What does that look like for us? What does that look like for us? So for a little over forty years, I have been sponsoring children through uh, a group called Bibles for the World, and 
a little over 30 years ago, Joy entered into this with me. And we have been sponsoring children through a group called uh, Bibles for the World. It was a ministry that I was exposed to as a small child. Um, and, um, and we have supported children who are, um, they, they don't have enough money to buy food to eat, don't have enough money to, there's no public education in that part of northwestern, yeah, northeastern India, and it provides them an education and food to eat. It doesn't end uh, global poverty and world hunger for everyone, but it ends world hunger and global poverty for one child. And we've done this now for, I've done it for over 40, well, right around 40 years. And my wife and I have done it for over 30 years. And, um, and what's really cool to me is every one of my kids sponsors children the exact same way. They're a little bit wayward in how they do it. They do it through World Vision and Compassion International instead of Bibles for the World. I'm, I'm joking about that. But it delights me to see my kids doing something that ends, you know, global poverty and world hunger. Is that, that don't talk yourself out of thinking that you can't and what you have to offer can't make a difference. That you can sponsor a child, whether through, through you know, Bibles for the World or whether through Compassion International or through World Vision. There are ways that we can do this. But using what God has blessed us with to bless others. The message of James was countercultural in his world. It was countercultural. That what James told the poor when he was writing to them, he says, the believer in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. And the rich should take pride in their humiliation. That the message of James was countercultural in his world, and it is countercultural in our world. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. The rich should take pride in their humiliation. We aren't defined by our wealth or poverty, but we are defined by how we think about money and, if, and, and how we think and follow Jesus. That we can either serve God with our money, or we can serve our money over God. But learning how to think about these things in a way that's honoring to God. We're not defined by wealth or poverty. We're defined by who we are in Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. We are so grateful uh, for all the ways that you have blessed us. And, um, and Lord, what we want to do is we don't want to feel guilty for being blessed by you, but we do want to, to learn how to honor you with the blessings that you have given us. And we want to do this um, for the honor and the glory of your name, not legalistically, but joyfully, gratefully. Uh, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God has done great things. Um, feeding of the 5,000, uh, Gladys' church, when she gave that $20, and 
how the Lord multiplied that. He has done great things, and he's doing great things, and he wants to continue to do so. Um, I think that's incredible. Um, so I want, I want to ask us to stand one more time, and I want to ask us to, to just worship God together one more time with a heart of gratitude of the great things that he has done and is doing. Can we do that together before we leave today? And I want to also let you know, um, tonight here at 6.30, we'll be meeting for revival prayer as well. Uh, we will uh, engage in a time of <clears throat> worship <clears throat> through music together and then spend some time praying for revival in our homes and in our church and, and, and beyond. So I invite you to come back here tonight for that, 6.30 to 7.30. We'd love to love to see you. So here we go. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we thank you for the great things you've done. And we look forward with great anticipation to the great things that you'll do again. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's sing. One, two, three. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquer the grave. You free every captive. You break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God, you have done great things. You've been faithful. You've been faithful through every storm. You'll be faithful forevermore. You have done great things. And I know, and I know you will do it again. For your promise is yes and amen. You will do great things. Yes, you will. You will do great things. Oh, hero. Oh, hero of heaven. You conquer the grave. You free every captive. Break every chain, oh God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great things. And on that note, happy Labor Day weekend. Thank you so much for being with us today. We hope you'll join us again tonight at 6.30 for Revival Prayer. Stay cool, people.